0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, I want to talk to you this morning, just in the few moments that I've got left on transformation. Everyone say transformation. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've realized about God is that when you walk with Him, He actually does transform your life. That when we walk with Him, we have the power to think differently. We have the power to react differently we have the power to see different results you see you and i have not just signed up to the teachings of jesus you and i have signed up to this life where god actually transforms our lives in a very very powerful way i don't know about you but i don't want to live my life reactive you know there are many people in life that always live reactive When things come out of their blue, they react. When things take place in their life that they didn't expect, they react. When expectations are not met, they react. I don't believe that God has called you and I to live in the reactive zone. I believe that God has called us to live in the proactive zone. That God is actually transforming us no matter what circumstances we actually go through. As I look at the church, I see there's a transforming work that God is doing in this church. Paul talks about transformation in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I want to read you a couple of scriptures here and then we'll kind of get into this detail. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. People often say, what is the will of God for my life? If you want to know the will of God, allow God to transform your thinking. Decide what goes into your mind. Make a decision that you're going to allow the word of God to transform your thinking. Not current world trends, not current sociological ideas, but allow the Bible to actually transform your thinking. Every time I line my, my mind back into the word of God, God begins to speak to me about his will. So do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Come on, who knows that God's will is perfect? It's good. It's pleasing. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12. Again, Paul writes about the transformative work of the gospel. He says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ it is taken away. He's talking about their religious traditions. They were bound by that. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Praise God that we don't live in tradition. Praise God. God has removed the veil of tradition away from our lives. Hello. Right? Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who are with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image, are being transformed into His image. Image. I want to say this, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were not transformed into the image of your broken childhood or maybe generational things that have been passed down from your family or behavioural traits that you have learnt from your mum and dad, whether good or bad. But when you gave your life to Jesus, he has given you the power to be transformed into his likeness. Isn't that awesome? My dad tells me the story when he was growing up as he came from an abusive childhood When he gave his life to Jesus, he just made that decision that would not be for his family. And There was a transformation that took place. I should have statistically grown up in an abusive childhood. But somewhere along the way, when my dad gave his life to Jesus, everything changed in his heart. He became a completely different person. And I am now living in the blessing of that. And so we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. With every increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That word "transform" basically means to become completely different. To become completely different. In other words, before Jesus, you were someone. After Jesus, you were someone else. In other words, you're not the same. You see things differently. You respond differently. Your language is different. The way that you believe for things is different. Your insecurities are different. The things in your life that are weaknesses are different. There's a transformation that has taken place. You just haven't adopted the lifestyle of Christianity or the teachings of Jesus. There is a significant transformation that has taken place. I want to say this to you today, is that many times we can reduce our Christian life just down to a lifestyle or a series of choices. We can believe for significant transformation in all areas of our lives. One of the things that we see in the book of Luke, chapter 5, and verse 1 is that we see the calling of the disciples. If we look at this whole idea of transformation. And, uh, you know, we often look at the disciples and just the way they responded to Jesus. The Bible says they left their boats to follow him. They left everything to follow him. And we say, wow, that is the benchmark of what discipleship is about. But my question is, why did they do that? What was so compelling about Jesus that made them leave everything to follow him? I think there is some idea here about transformation that we can understand. And it talks about this in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding in around him and they were listening to the word of God. So they recognized that he was a teacher. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little on the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Uh, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and have not caught anything. But if you say so, oh, we'll let down the nets. I want you to notice that Simon calls him master. In other words, he had an idea who Jesus was. There was no doubt that he was part of the crowd that was listening to Jesus teaching. The fact that Jesus jumped into the boat uh, for Simon kind of gives an idea that he was okay with that. It wasn't like a complete stranger. He must have heard him preach. He must have seen him around. He must have heard the different people speak about Jesus. Jesus had begun a reputation that had preceded him. And so there was a sense of familiarity with Simon and Jesus because he kind of knew what this man was about, but he didn't really understand him fully. And so he jumps into the, the boat and he begins to preach. When he finishes, at, to that point, Simon was just part of the other crowd. Simon answered, we've worked hard all night. And they're not caught anything, but if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And I love this in verse 8. Now when Simon Peter saw this, he'd heard about Jesus, he'd heard his teaching. But now after the miracle, when he saw this, there was a transformation that took place. He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll fish for people. Listen, verse 11, They pulled their boats up on the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. Luke begins this this phrase, this, this story, with one day. The translators actually got it slightly wrong. That word in the Greek actually doesn't mean one day, the word in the Greek actually means it happened. In other words, it was so profound, so life changing, it blew their mind that even Luke years later when he's writing about this event, he goes, you need to understand this was not a fairy tale, this was not a story that someone made up. It wasn't just a one day in the woods far, far away. Actually happened, Amen. and in that moment, in that moment, it wasn't just the words of Jesus that actually made these guys sell up everything and follow Him. It was the very fact that He had completely transformed their situation. Church, I've got to say this to you: You look at now, you get to the end of the the the, the, the resurrection after Jesus had risen from the dead, and we find that the disciples had gone through many seasons. And no doubt they'd gone through the disappointment in the early days of thinking that he died. And no doubt they were wondering what this actually all meant. We know the story about them walking the road to Emmaus. That the Bible says that he came alongside of them and they didn't even recognize him. And yet the Bible says that when he walked away that their hearts burned within them. Right? They didn't actually expect him to actually rise from the dead to do this supernatural miracle. But now at the end, as they see him a number of times, we begin to get this idea that again, Jesus does an amazing miracle. John chapter 21, verse one to nine. It's almost like deja vu. It's almost like he's taken them back to that first time that he reminded them about how powerful he was. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. And by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we're going with you. Some scholars would say, you know, he abandoned his call to follow Jesus. I don't think that was the case. I just think he was hungry and he was out to fish. We'll go with you. And so they went out, got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Two examples of the disciples catching fish. Two examples of them catching nothing. I Actually, don't think that they were successful fishermen. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the other on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing, listen, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Same scenario, same deal. Now at the end, now at the end, not at the beginning, but now at the end, same deal. They'd fish hard all night. They'd caught nothing at all. Jesus says, have you caught any fish? No, we haven't. Throw your net on the other side. That miracle, once again, that miracle of Jesus, That miracle had the ability to transform them at their moment. At, At that moment, it shifted their focus. At their moment, it shifted, engaged them again. Again, he caught their eye. He drew them in. If there was anything in Peter's life that was discouraging or sad or maybe weary from everything they went through, it had completely changed. All of a sudden, that passion now returned. We see Peter jumping out of the boat because he's so passionate about actually seeing Jesus Again, and again, I began to think about how Jesus comes into the very ordinary of our lives, into the very simple, and he actually has the power to transform those things into supernatural areas. I want to give you two things, two things that I believe you can believe for when it comes to God's transforming work out of this passage. Because this passage has got to do with discipleship. It's got to do with why these guys signed up for the Christian faith. It's got to do with these guys actually saying, we want to follow Jesus for the rest of our days. Again, it's not just about the lifestyle. It's actually about believing for the supernatural power of God in your daily walk with God. The first one is this, is that he transforms the outcome. He transforms the outcome. He takes an ordinary outcome. And when you get Jesus involved, he has the power to transform it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let out the nets for a catch. Again, in John chapter 21 and verse 6, he said, throw your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. He's not teaching them how to fish. He's taking what they are doing and he is transforming it into something supernatural. Remember Luke and John Speak about these guys fishing hard all night and catching nothing at all. Nevertheless, Jesus calls out to them and says, throw your net on the other side. In other words, in the same situation, throw your net on the other side. In Luke, he says, go a little bit further. Go a little bit deeper. Just go one step further, throw your net in, and you'll see what you actually catch and i love this idea this powerful idea is that jesus is actually challenging them to make a small adjustment and then everything changes did you know what i find amazing they're in the same gps location in both scenarios they're in that the weather patterns are exactly the same they're wearing the same clothes they're in the same time zone they're in the same vicinity and yet, at the words of Jesus, everything changes because they respond to his call. And just in that little change of behavior, everything changes because they are walking in the lordship of his life. I want to say this to you today. Often we want to go for the big transformation. I've been in pastoral life for over 25 years. And there are, there are moments that I have seen the big transformation, the big miracle, the big times that God has done a significant intervention. But i would say most times in life, God has transformed my world and the people that I've talked to their worlds by the little responses throughout. You can be in the same GPS location and you can work hard all night and catch nothing, but when you listen to the Holy Spirit... And he challenges you to be proactive. And he challenges you to change your attitude. And he challenges you to step out of faith. And he challenges you, hey, why don't you just start to work on that area rather than that area. You'll be amazed at what he actually transforms in your outside world. And we see here on one side that the disciples are in the wrong side of favor. And then by the words of Jesus, they are now in the right side of favor. They are seeing the blessing of God. Everything remained the same except The actual catch. I see this in our own lives. I can't say that in my 25 years of ministry that I've seen massive miracles, but I've seen on my journey with God along the way I've always seemed to be on the right side of favor, because I've wanted to make sure that my heart is right with God. You know, just this this year uh, in our youth camp, just little things like this. In our youth camp, you know, my son went to our youth camp. The kids, they love youth. And uh, uh, the weekend that the youth camp was on, I was in the roof doing some work. And uh, I've realised this that as I get older, I become less nimble. So I was literally in the roof, bent up like a pretzel, just trying to put some wires and sort things out. Anyway, nothing illegal, by the way, but you know. <laughs> and I get a phone call. I think I get a phone call from one of the youth guys, saying we just want to let you know, Pastor I just want to let you know. They're talking to me in fear and trepidation. That uh, I think we, we think that Samuel's broken his leg or broken his ankle. He was going down a slide that wasn't meant to be a slide but he decided to make it a slide and we're taking him to the casey hospital and you know we're taking him to the emergency department so i I'm mean I'm, I'm in the roof i'm thinking great now i have to get out of this roof if i get out of this roof i can't get in this roof again right and so uh uh got down from the roof and arrived at the hospital and had the surgeons look at it got some x-rays found out he'd broken his broken his ankle in one of the bones don't even ask me to name it but a bone was broken And they plastered him up and they said, it looks like you're probably going to need surgery, some pins and some screws and everything else. And uh, I said, let's just go to Officeworks. It's cheaper, you know. (laughs) just thought I'd throw that in there. (laughs) kind of worked. (laughs) And uh, they said, you're going to go see a surgeon. And a few days later, we booked ourselves in to see the surgeon. He looked at it and he said, look, you're going to need plates and you're going to need screws. Uh, for it to heal properly. And they said, you know, we have to do this within 10 days uh, or else the bone will set and it'll be a problem later on. And so, uh, you know, over the weekend, you know, rest up and uh, you'll get a phone call within the 10-day period. Anyway, we didn't get a phone call. We didn't get a phone call. So it's coming up to day nine and I'm thinking, you know, or day eight, sorry, and I'm thinking, well, it's now been a week and a half, you know, 10-day period or two-week 2, two week period, he was saying. Uh, we have to get onto this. Just felt this, this voice inside going, give them a call, give them a call, give them a call, you know. And so I rang the hospital, quoted the number, and uh, they said, yep, they said, yeah, we see that, and he's booked in for elective surgery, and he's on the wait list, it could be a few months. And uh, I remember saying to them, and my family was in the car, and I said, well, I go, the, the surgeon actually said it was supposed to be done within a two-week period. Uh, could Do me a favor, could you just go speak to the surgeon? Is he in? Oh, yes, he happens to be in. When I get off the phone, could you just have a conversation with him? not trying to tell you what to do, but, you know, and then come back and give us a call. Five minutes later, look, you know, we got it wrong. Well, they didn't say that. They just said, yes, we need to book him in, and uh, we'll have him booked in by the end of the week. Anyway, Wednesday came along. They gave me a phone call, and they said, our surgeons are ready now. Uh, they're, they're, they're moving up the list fairly quickly. We can do the surgery today if you can get him here within the hour. I said, I'll have him here within half an hour. And uh, I rang Sam, get ready. Off we go. Jumped in the car. We got there. Surgeon was there, spoke to him, a couple of guys there, said, this is what we're going to do. Church, it just ran so smoothly, so smoothly. Get to the end, and uh, when he comes out of surgery, you know, all the beds are full, so they put him in the children's ward. (laughs) There is my big six-foot-two son in the children's ward. Had a bed to himself, had a room to himself, and just the whole thing, the whole process was just so smooth. And we get to the end, get him home on the Friday before the weekend, the surgery's done, he's now on the road to recovery. You say, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, for me, it is a big deal. You know, in the lives that we lead, to be on the right side where everything just kind of falls into place, where everything kind of lands into place, where everything just kind of into the right i was literally talking to someone just the other day about a guy in our church who's had cancer and uh, that cancer has returned and he he's now had to have special uh, treatment and he applied for this special treatment uh, that the australian government knocked him back on and and this particular uh, man who wanted to help him out in our church started to make other phone calls and through that they made they connected him with a surgeon in the u.s and now he's flying to the u.s and this treatment is seven hundred thousand dollars and they were able to give it to him for nothing. They approved him almost on the spot. Again, the right side of favor. Come on, the right side of blessing. You can be in the same circumstance, the same vicinity. You can fish hard or not and catch nothing at all. Or you can believe that God can do a transformative work in your circumstance on a daily basis. You know, last week we, last week we, we prayed for a young couple in our church that just had a baby girl. And there were some complications around that birth. And so she was in the ICU ward and they're they're not out of the woods yet. But I remember last week getting a phone call from the parents, you know, crying on the phone. We need a breakthrough right now. We need a miracle right now. There's stuff that's going on that, you know, have surprised the surgeons. We need breakthrough right now. As a church, we prayed. We said, come on, God, you put us on the right side. The surgeons have been working hard all night and have caught nothing. But we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would get in there right now. God, do a transformative work in this young girl's life. You know, throughout the week, they started to do some tests They found some things that they didn't look at before. It was just a small thing, a small issue that had a multiplication effect that would have really put her on the wrong side of favour. The moment they addressed that issue as a team of doctors, all of a sudden things started to change. And I'd be getting updates with this family about how now the baby's off the breathing tubes and now this is happening and now that's happening. And I spoke to the family at least last night about 9.30. They rang me and, oh my goodness, everything all right? no, we're all good, just want to say it's all good, it's all good, and uh, I said, look, at, look, you know, a week, look how a week from something that was so dire to something that's heading in the right direction because of the favour and the blessing of God, you know, and I think sometimes as Christians, I think sometimes we need to shift our faith. Sometimes we treat God almost like the jackpot. God, let me hit the jackpot. What about just the little breakthroughs and blessings along the way? What about allow God to do a transformative work in your life this week? God, I don't want to fish hard in that all night and catch nothing, but God, I want to draw in a harvest. God, will you speak to me? God, will you direct me? God, will you allow me to focus on the right thing? God gives you the ability to transform the environments around you. The second one is this, and I'll finish with this, is that God not only does a transformative work in our surroundings, but God also does a transformative work in our lives as well. And I think this one here is, is, is quite significant, because I think often we don't really understand this, is that he transforms the way that you see yourself. He transforms the way that you see yourself. What makes this pa- passage powerful is not just the miracle, but the revelation of the disciple about himself. It's not just the fish, the fact that they were drawn in, and that we go, wow, look at that, It's amazing. But it's the fact that Peter came to some conclusions about himself and that miracle. Verse 8, the Bible says this that when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's Simon Peter's response in the presence of God, in the presence of the perfection of Christ, that there is a recognition of his own inadequacies and of his own deficiencies. We often don't like to talk about our deficiencies. We often see that as a negative thing. But I think there's something very powerful here when Simon Peter just comes, it comes out of his own heart that he's a sinful man. You know, we see this right throughout the Bible. We see other examples of men and women that encountered God. We see this in the book of Uzziah where the Bible speaks about this. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, eight, the very classic well-known passage, in the, king, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, he was seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with the other two they were flying. How cool is that? They were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. With the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Look at his response in the presence of God. Woe to me, he said. I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He recognises that in the perfection of Jesus, he is so deficient. He is so unworthy when he's encountered God. But then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he'd taken with the tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is, praise God that God has taken away our guilt. Come on. Praise God that he sees us the way Jesus sees us. Amen. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of God saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. After all of that, you know, it's a healthy realization in both of these examples that we are deficient without him. Church, it's actually not a negative, it's a positive. That no matter what we're going through in life, we need his ongoing transformative work in our life. This is the power of this passage. It's not just the fish and the miracle, church, it is the self realization of Peter of how deficient he was and how much he needed God. The self realization that Jesus is your only answer to the deficiencies you wrestle with throughout your journey with life. The reality is, whether we, want to agree, uh, believe, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, all of us live with deficiencies. We often wrestle with this whole idea, are we enough to deal with the challenges of today? Are we enough to deal with the things we have to deal with? Am I enough as a senior minister to lead this church through this next season of growth and development? Are you enough to be a good parent for your children long term? Are you enough for your lifelong partner? It's the health, the realisation that we are deficient without him. That we need him to help us in our lives. We often go through this and many times in our own life. You know, you want to go for a new job in your career. Am I enough to fulfil this? You want to give wise advice as a parent to your children. Do I have enough to actually do this? I remember when my daughter was born, you know, Alessandra was born, and I remember when she was born, holding her in my arms when she was only, you know, just a few minutes old. I said, oh, I've got a baby girl. I'm so excited. And then my next phrase in my head was, mate, mate, what am I going to do with this? I hope I don't mess it up. <laughs> we often think, "Will I say the right thing. Throughout our lives, we're constantly looking on the inside. Am, am I enough? to deal with what i'm facing what a lot of people do is when we deal with this is that we compare ourselves to other people that's why paul says it's unwise to compare yourself with one another in other words i don't have what he has i don't have the talent that she has i don't have the family upbringing that they have if i just had all that then i would be okay but you are comparing yourself to the wrong source what does jesus do when simon peter recognizes his own deficiencies what does Jesus do when Simon Peter recognises his own deficiencies? Well, i tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't embarrass him. He doesn't put him down and say, you're right, you're useless. We live in a world that we love to shame. We love to enforce, expose, to drive home. I do believe that we are living in a shaming culture. If you want to see change in the world, just Shame. If you want to see change in the environment, don't have a constructive criticism, just shame. It's amazing how people use shame to their advantage. It's funny, I was preaching in a church in a well-to-do area a few years ago uh, in in another state and it was all young millennials who were listening to me preach and we had a great move of God and people got saved and it was fantastic. And uh, you know, before the meeting, I'd taken a photo of me having a cup of coffee saying my fuel for the day, and it was in a paper cup. It was in a paper cup. My big sin for the day was that I had my coffee in a paper cup. And at the end of the meeting, someone put on my Instagram, direct message me. You know, you should be ashamed of yourself. Why didn't you use a keep cup? Why didn't you, you know, bring your cup from home? Why did you use a paper cup? And you, know, and, you know, men of God, you know, should care for the environment. Yes, I've probably got a long way to go to care for the environment. But you know what? God moved. We had a powerful meeting and you're focusing on a stupid little cup. Like, really? <laughs> like, really? That probably says more about your myopic vision. Probably says more about you as a person. We just seem to, all of a sudden now I had to feel shamed. I mean, I've got a great marriage and my kids are going well and I love the Lord, but I'm using paper cups. (laughs) God help the man take away his credentials. He's taking a paper cup. (laughs) I think there's a different way that we can actually bring change. We are really good at shaming ourselves. No one knows us the way that we know ourselves. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't, hum, he doesn't humiliate. He doesn't embarrass him. He doesn't say, I told you, just to prove you wrong. What does Jesus do? I want the musicians to come. What does Jesus do? He entrusts him with a new purpose. The way that Jesus deals with that is that he gives him more responsibility. The way that Jesus deals with Simon Peter's Acknowledgement of his deficiencies, church is not to reinforce them, but to say, from now on, you are going to be fishers of men. We see it in Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. Does the angel do? He gives him a new purpose, a new call, a new destiny. And this is what I've realised: is that if you want God to do a transformative work in your life. Something powerful needs to take place when you are honest with God. And when you are honest with the Holy Spirit about your deficiencies, when you don't see them as something that will cripple you, but when you see them as something that is going to put your reliance on God, you know what happens? God says, I can trust you. I can trust you. Because now I know that you recognize that without me, you can't do the thing that I've called you to do. See the Pharisees, we got it all under control. We got it all taken care of. Arrogance. Yeah, we got the wealth. We got the accolades of people. When you before God acknowledge your deficiencies, God, without you, I can't do this. God says, I can trust you. Because now you have a right perspective of your role in this and my role in this. And God begins to do a transformative work in your own life. So i to tell you are many times in my life, even, even today, that I feel deficient. God, can you do this? God, I pray. But you know what? It teaches me to rely on the Holy Spirit. It teaches me to be in a place that I need God. It teaches me in a place that I go, God, I recognize that without you, I can't do this. And for us as, as our walk with Jesus, that is a healthy place to be in not a place that you think you got it all together. You don't need God. The moment a crisis comes, the moment a problem comes, all of a sudden you realize that you are deficient without the Holy Spirit. Praise God that he's the only one that can meet that deficiency in our lives. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't embarrass us. He doesn't drive it in. What he does, he says, I can trust you now and I've got a higher plan and I've got a higher purpose for your your life. Praise God that we serve a God who loves us so much. Amen. transforms the world around you, it transforms you can I remind you this morning not to reduce your discipleship to Jesus just to a lifestyle but understand that every day in your life God wants to do a transformative work people around you, in your environment but also in you personally that in your weakness and the things that you struggle with through your honesty before God God will always give you a design an assignment that is far beyond what you would normally do in your own strength Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.